got my barricade established. Good morning. <laughs> uh, my name is Chris Moore. I'm one of your elders, and I will be preaching from Psalm 12 this morning. Uh, but before that, I also wanted to say Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers. And I just quickly wanted to uh, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 46. Um, it says, While he was still speaking to the people, speaking of Jesus, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So following the example of Christ, um, I look out and I see a lot of my mothers this morning. And uh, so happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, you influence the people around you, even if you're not their biological mother. And uh, that's a blessing. So thank you for that. And also, um, with that being said, um, Mom, if you want to take the grandkids for a long weekend, <laughs> any takers? All right, just trying that out. Um, let's pray for our moms, okay? Lord God in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing that you gave us in a mother. The woman who birthed us or adopted us or influences us or just came alongside us and loved us and inspired us. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Now, for, um, do we have a slide for the unreached? Do we have that? There we go. Uh, the Baniya in India. Uh, so we're praying for folks who do not know the Lord, who maybe haven't yet even heard the name of Jesus ever in their life. And um, as uh, Jonathan Paramore mentioned one time, it really struck me. He said, these are people who live and die and never hear the gospel. They never hear the salvation message. And that's really sad. And we want to pray for these folks. And particularly this morning, the Baniya of India, uh, their population is about, was that 29 million? That's a big number. Uh, main religion, Hinduism, which is about 88%. There is no known presence of Christians among them. So they're not hearing the gospel. Uh, business trade, jewelry making, and agriculture are their traditional occupations. Floor painting and folk songs represent the Baniya's art and culture. Uh, we're praying for their salvation and for scripture and resources to be translated into their native language and dialects. So if you will, with me, please pray for the Baniya. Father, what a sad thing that people can be born and live and die and not even hear of your blessed son who came to save them. And I pray that you would raise up, encourage, equip saints to go forward and speak your name and your word in their native tongue, print Bibles in their native tongue, that many salvations would happen, that we can meet the Benia in heaven someday and know that you did a mighty work there with them just like you did in our own sinful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you will please turn, as Aaron said, to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. 
Psalm 12, starting in verse 1. We're doing the whole psalm. Uh, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Again, brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that you would grant us wisdom to rightly understand your word. I pray that I would only speak truth and that if anything false or self-serving should fall from my lips, that it would be forgotten by all those who hear this message. Help us, O God, to savor the words of your book. Feed our souls with the bread of your divine counsel. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Psalms is called the Tehillim in Hebrew. That kind of puts this psalm in an interesting perspective because this psalm is described in our ESV study Bibles as a community lament suited for occasions when the people of God are dominated by liars in positions of authority. So why would this be considered praise? Why would we lament our sorrows to God during worship or as worship? Because we exalt the name of God above all names when we cry out to him for help. When we acknowledge the Lord as the only answer for our plight, we glorify him as almighty, as the Alpha and Omega, as Christ describes himself in Revelation 22. You'll find an example of this kind of worship in the book of Job. Right after Job learns of the death of all of his children and the destruction and theft of all of his riches, here is his reaction. Uh, Job 1, verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's look back at our text and see what these verses can teach us. Verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished among the children of man. King David, who penned this psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is crying out to God for salvation. Salvation from what? The people around him who are unfaithful. You can read about David's life in First and Second Samuel, First Kings, and First Chronicles. Throughout most of David's life, he was in some fashion fleeing from or defending himself against attacks and subversion from people who were close to him. From King Saul, who became his father-in-law, to his wife, to his most trusted advisor, to his own son. Knowing this, it can reasonably be assumed that David's lament is referring to a person or persons who are close to him. He continues in verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor 
With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. What does it mean to have a double heart? Jesus says this of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are all like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It is all too easy to read these words and think, wow, what's the deal with these guys? I mean, Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah, proving he is the Christ. And still, these men mocked him and called him a blasphemer. And David, he was the Lord's anointed, the chosen king of God's people. How could these guys not love and obey and respect him? But the truth is, we are just like these guys. Whether we're so self-righteous that we can't recognize the godliness of others, or are so prideful that we watch those in authority with an always critical eye and think, I could do better than them. Waiting for them to make a mistake and then point it out and decry them as unfit to lead. But they didn't get that position on their own or of their own accord. It was God who put them there. Daniel says this of the Lord in Daniel 2.21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Yes, God set them up in that high place. And we should follow the example of Paul encouraging Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. But you might say, I knew them before they were promoted or elected office. They don't deserve that position. Beloved, we don't deserve the position we have as saints either. It's only by the grace of God that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the creator of all things. And the only one who does deserve what we have been given through Christ is Christ. We all too often don't cherish our God or the blessings he has given us, and we want more or we want better. In David's case, these flatterers wanted his throne, the throne that God gave him. These flatterers seek to curry favor with the king for their own gain and the eventual, albeit temporary, overthrow of King David. Verses 3 and 4. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? David's not necessarily asking God to hack off the lips of those deceivers. Although, if you read enough about King David, you'll find him to be a bit of a, bo- of a hothead. So that could partially be the case. After all, Jesus did say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. However, David is actually asking for something worse than mutilation. He's asking the Lord to judge these people who through their own sinful desires and scheming have made themselves his enemies. He's asking God to remove these people from his presence and from the family of God. Like in Leviticus 20, when the Lord is speaking to idolaters who gave their children over to the false god, Molech, God says he will cut him off from among his people. 
David is rightly saying that those who lie and deceive and covet have no claim to the inheritance that is promised to the faithful. But because of Jesus' substitutionary atonement for our own sin, we do have an inheritance. This inheritance that God willed to be ours from the very beginning, thank God, is not based on our own merit or goodness, but on the, per- the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, as it is written in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious name, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all, willing, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then in our own text, starting at verse 5, the psalmist shifts from lamenting his situation and asking God for help to a statement of faith, faith in God's goodness and protection. Verse 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. So, when we look around this world and we see injustices, like abortion, human trafficking, and all kinds of unspeakable abuses perpetrated on the most innocent, we can rest assured that there will be a reckoning. There's a story in, the three, in three of the Gospels about Jesus when people are bringing their children to him so he can lay hands on them. And I like the way it's written in the book of Mark the best. It says at verse 13, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It says Jesus was indignant. Indignant is defined as feeling or showing anger or annoyance in what is perceived as unfair treatment. Synonyms include disgruntled, angry, disturbed, offended, vexed, and irritated. You can almost imagine the shift in Jesus' demeanor where he goes from dignified to indignant when he probably shouts at and rebukes his disciples for what they're doing. And it says in Matthew 18, 6, but, this is Jesus speaking again, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Yes, God cares for the innocent and he will protect us. Just like Psalm 91 says, he will cover us, he will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings, you will find refuge His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. 
Our text continues in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. And verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. God's words are pure. They're genuine. They're untainted. They are perfect. So when God speaks, you can trust what he says because God is God. Because he is God, he is perfect, and his words are perfect. And David has to believe this because God has made him a great promise through the prophet Nathan. He promises him in 2 Samuel, Now, therefore, this is the Lord speaking to Nathan, Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, as violent, as violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over the people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about King Solomon now. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the Lord, the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance to all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So it seems by David's own words that he does believe God's promises. And he believes that God will protect him. But he is still in this time of affliction and oppression. However, he is looking past his current circumstances to the Lord's promise. And that is where he places his hope. And we should do the same. We have been given a promise from God as well. A promise of things to come. In Romans 10.9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So there is our hope and our promise. That is where our faith rests. The promise of eternal life through Christ, and there is no other name by which we can be saved. Until then, we are faithfully waiting like David. In our final verse, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted from the, among the children of men. What do we do when we realize that we are still here in this situation? We remember God's promises and faithful words and we remember his power and we remember his might. When I was in the Air Force, I was deployed to Iraq in 2006. This was my first deployment. And we were going into a hostile territory with real enemies who wanted to kill us. 
And I remember when we were still in Kuwait and about to go over the border to what would be our new home for the next six plus months. And we were told that we would be flying in on helicopters. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I kind of envisioned something like pictures of Vietnam with Hueys flying over the jungle, taking fire from the opposition. So I was understandably a little nervous. But when we walked out on the runway, I saw the biggest helicopter I'd ever seen. And I later learned that helicopter was called a Navy Sea Stallion. And when we walked into the cargo bay, I saw it was equipped with not one, not two, but three Browning M250 caliber machine guns. This particular machine gun, nicknamed Mod Deuce, was a belt-fed weapon that fired bullets that were a half inch in diameter. And the three heroes that were manning them looked like they couldn't wait to put them into action. <laughs> this quickly changed my outlook and gave me comfort. And although I was still going through all the possibilities, uh, possibilities and scenarios in my mind about what might or what could happen, I was sure that we would be okay. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God of power. The various names of God alone are enough to give us comfort. Names like Elohim, which means the strong creator God, or Jehovah, Lord, master and relational God. Adonai, master over all, El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Elohim, Chasadai, the God of my mercy. El Elohe Israel, the mighty God of Israel. El Elyon, the most high God. El Emunah, the faithful God. Elohai Tehillatai, God of my praise. El Hakobad, the God of glory. Elohim Shaim, the living God. El Hayeh, the God of my life. Elohim Kedashim, holy God. El Kanah, jealous God. Elohai Mauzi, God of my strength. El Maleki, God my king. El Nekamoth, God that avenges. Elohim Ozerlai, God my helper. El Rai, God sees me. El Sali, my rock. El Shaddai, almighty God. Elohim Soften Ba'aretz, God that judges the earth. El Simshath Gili, God my exceeding joy. Elohim Sebaoth, God of hosts. Elohe Sadiki, God of my righteousness. Elohe Yaakob, the God of Jacob. Elohai Marom, God of heights. Jehovah Shereb, the Lord my sword. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Savior. We're going to take communion together as a family. So if you place all your trust and hope in the sacrifice of Jesus on behalf, on your behalf, and because of your sins, then please join us. If you don't yet believe or are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you don't participate. Just stay in your seat and do business with your Father in heaven who loves you. And if you want to believe but just don't, pray for faith. Like the man in Mark 9 who said, I believe, help my unbelief. And as we sit in quiet self-examination, let this be our prayer. Lord, help, Lord. Help, Lord, be our strength and protector that we may glorify your name in all that we do. In Jesus' name. How do we know our eternal hope is rightly placed in Jesus? 
this body and this blood. Because on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. We had given thanks and broke it and gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he said, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant of my blood. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your son's sacrifice that we really can't even imagine how wonderful and sacrificial it was to, to send your son down to do, um, to do life down here, um, to live a perfect life and die for us who really don't deserve it. And we just thank you for that, God. There's, there's not a lot of words to be, to be said about it other than thank you. In Jesus' name.